I agree with Pastor Dan. You guys are like the most generous, the most loving people. And um, that's why I think this series is very appropriate. It's called Who's My Neighbor? And it's in response to the greatest command that Christ gives us to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the encouragement is for us to keep loving and ask, so who is my neighbor and how can I keep on loving? Today, um, I want to talk about some of the most vulnerable neighbors we have, the youngest among us, some of the most powerless neighbors in our community. And just to give you a heads up, we are going to be talking about foster and adoption care. And um, I want to start off by showing you a video. It's a true story of a young mom whose child was taken from her and put into the foster care system. So check out this story as we open up. I remember taking my pipe and just putting it on the floor and just stepping on it. And I was like, I'm done. And, um, and a month later, Madison was born on her due date, which I don't know how that happened because I had done everything you're not supposed to do while you're pregnant. And on the third day, they took, they took my daughter and they said, we'll be right back. And they never, they never came back. I went down almost every street around the hotel and just cried and just didn't know where to go. And I didn't want to go back to the motel because I had, the mo I had my room in the motel all set up with um, a crib and clothes. I just felt so alone and lost. I was advised to be cordial but confidential because the bio mom was hostile to the first foster parents. And so obviously not really what I wanted to hear. They said be confidential. So I thought, is it bad if she even knows my name? So when I met Lauren, you know, I didn't know what to expect. But as soon as we started talking, she felt at ease with me. I was on my first unsupervised visit with my daughter. I was feeling so nervous. I have my daughter and we, are, we, we can go wherever we want and we can be back at this certain time. We can, we can spend this time alone that I haven't had. She goes in my car and we're driving and Madison starts crying. And she starts crying and crying and crying and I start crying and crying and we're both holding each other and we're just crying. And I knew she didn't want me. So I met them at uh, Trader Joe's parking lot, and uh, we're, we're in the parking lot, and I'm just crying and holding Madison, and, and Brian puts his hands over me while I'm crying, and he just prays for me, he prayed for me. And I don't know what he said, but when he was done, all the guilt was taken away. All the guilt was taken away. Because when she was crying, it wasn't just a kid crying. All I heard was everything I did while I was pregnant. Everything I did, I, everything I did to put her in a position to be crying. That mom, Lauren, and her baby Madison are neighbors who need the love of Christ. They need the love of Christ. So today we're gonna talk specifically later on in the message about foster ministry and adoption ministry. And before any of you just start freaking out because you feel like, you're going to get a guilt trip laid on you, or you check out because you feel like this has nothing to do with me. This is way out of my field, way out of my range. I want to tell you, relax, okay? Just breathe. Because I, I do want to say this, foster and adoption ministry isn't for everyone, but everyone is called to act. Not everybody is called to foster or adopt, but everyone is called to act, to act out your faith. And though foster ministry and adoption isn't for everyone, this message, I want to assure you, is for everyone. It is for everyone here, everybody listening online. And so I want to start by inviting you to join me as we pray. And I want to lead you into a time of prayer. So would you guys all bow your heads wherever you are, bow your heads with me, and I'd love to guide you this morning. And I'm going to pray out loud, and I invite you to just pray these words as if you're talking straight to God. Father, thank you for bringing me to worship this morning. I know I'm not here by accident. 
I know I'm listening because you want to speak to me. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to me in a way that shows me, first of all, your deep love for me. And then how do you want me to respond to that love? I pray that I'd open with, I'd listen with open ears and a humble heart. And I'd allow you to say whatever it is you need to say. Help me to live out my faith and show the world who Jesus is. So speak, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I've read through the scriptures, there's verses once in a while that I'll read, and it just makes me scratch my head. Like, what, what is this about, or why does it say that? And a lot of times when it's hard for me to understand, I'll, I'll put it away, and I tell myself, one day I'll get to it, and maybe I'll study it further one day and make sense of it. And one of the verses I want to show you is in James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, your apps, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and it's in 27. I've read this so many times and never understood why it says this. But here's what it says in verse 27. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I've always wondered, why is that considered pure and faultless? Why is that the religion that God sees as acceptable? Why is that pleasing to God? And as I've studied through it this week, I want to share with you three reasons from the scriptures why I believe that is acceptable to God when we care after the orphans. So if you're taking notes, here's the first reason I want to give you. We're going to move from the theological into the practical. So number one. Because it reflects the heart of the Father. God sees it as acceptable religion when you care after orphans because it reflects the heart of the Father. In the Bible, depending on which translation you're reading in the English, you might see the word orphan or in certain translations you'll see the word fatherless. Different translations might say different things, but they come from one Hebrew word and it's the word yatom. Yatom is the word for the one, the child who is without parental guidance. And it appears 42 times in the Bible. And then when I wrote this message, I had my first draft and I was going to show you all these verses with the word Yatom in it and show you the Father's heart in them, in, in these verses. But there was one particular verse I, I planned not to show you. I, I was going to keep it from you. True story. But God convicted me, and with God's sense of humor, this morning, I'm going to show you that one verse I was trying to keep from you, and I'm not going to show you the other verses that I already, originally showed, wanted to show you. And here's why. Here's the verse. Exodus 22, verse 22 to 24. This is what I was trying to keep from you. He says, you shall not mistreat any widow or yatom, fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And here's what I didn't want you to see. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. <laughs> so if any of you are looking for a Bible verse for your Christmas card this year, they... <laughs> There you go. I think that one's still available, right? That's why I didn't want to show it to you because I thought to myself, God, what are people going to think about you? Especially people who are new to church or who are just visiting for the first time this morning who don't know. What are they going to think when they see this verse where you say, I will kill you with the sword? And I felt like I got I to gotta protect God. I got to defend him. I got to hide that from people. And then it was like God was convicting my heart saying, Greg, I don't need your protection. Like, who are you to defend me? In fact, what is this passage saying about our God? That he's the defender. That he's the protector. I remember the story when I was in second grade. Very vivid memory to me. I was at Hickory Elementary School here in Torrance, California. And, you know, in, in elementary school, you always want to be the first in line. At least the boys wanted to be first in line. And so every day after class, as the bell was about to ring to dismiss you from that day, you know, you had to clean up your desk, tidy up the desk, pack your bags. And if you tidied it all up, then you could go stand in line to be dismissed. 
And so I'm rushing because I want to be first in line. I get my backpack all ready, and I run to the door to be first in line. And just as I'm about to get there, so does this other kid in my class. His name is Jason. We get there just about the same. I think I was a little bit ahead of him. And I remember just sticking my hand out and pretending like I don't see him because I'm non-confrontational. And so I kind of just push him behind me, and I'm thinking in my head, no cuss, no butts, no coconuts, right? And I'm pushing him behind me, and I'm like stand, making sure I have my position. The bell rings, and as I'm released from the class, I'm walking out, and I get pulled over by this lady. Apparently, she saw the whole thing. She says, hey, come here. Let me talk to you. She says, don't you ever push my son again. She says, don't you ever put your hands on on him again. Do you understand that? And you know what I did? (laughs) I don't even like getting yelled at by my own mom, let alone some other kid's mom. Man, I, I'll never forget that day, but as I've, I'm, I've grown up and I'm a dad myself now, I don't think back to that day and think about that lady and say, what an evil, bad lady she is. No, what do I think? As a dad, I think you go, mama. Right? You, you protect your child. Like, I get it. She, she doesn't want someone pushing her son. That's a good mom protecting her child. And and so when I think about the Israelites reading something like this in Exodus 22, and you read through the whole Mosaic law, the the Old Testament, and all the times God speaks of the atom, the fatherless, the orphan, you begin to see his heart. And when when, when they read this verse, I don't think they're thinking, sheesh, what an evil, mean, and bad God. No, they're seeing the heart of the father, and they're probably concluding, wow. What a father to the fatherless. What a lover of the orphan. What a defender of the weak. He is serious about his children. They begin to see the heart of his father. And in the Old Testament, they they conclude, the Israelites conclude as the psalmist did in Psalm 68 verse 5, that the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. That's who God is, a father to the fatherless. You'll notice like James did in James chapter 1 and then in Exodus 22 and in Psalms that I just read right now that whenever the yatom, the orphan, is mentioned is often paired together with the widow. 40 out of 42 times is orphans and the widow. Why? I've asked myself, why does God care so deeply for the fatherless and the widows. And I believe it's because both are lacking a provider and a protector that God designed to have in their lives. He put them in their lives to care for them and to comfort them. And when that provider and protector is missing to God, that is not okay. That's not okay. That's what God has created the man to do. And I get it, societies change and cultures change, and you might have a different view about that. Some women are like, I got it, I can take care of myself. And whatever you believe about women, children at all times, from beginning of time to the end of time, at all times will always need a protector and a provider. They will always need parental presence. Someone put it like this. You think about all the brokenness in our world, the the worst things that have happened in our world, in our society, and you make a list of them. Who pays the highest price for those things? Who suffers the most? Who's impacted the most? I mean, think about what, what list does that look like? Broken families, divorce, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, incarceration, human trafficking, gang violence, homelessness, All the brokenness in our world, who pays the highest price? Who's impacted the most? Is it not the kids? Is it not the children among us? And if you think the children who didn't cause these problems, they don't bring them about. They're not the ones who who, who are the genesis of these problems, yet they suffer the most. And they're the ones who don't have the resources or the ability or the voice to do anything about the suffering that's being caused to them. And so children are the most vulnerable and powerless in our community. And among the children who are most vulnerable, who are the most vulnerable? It's the children 
without parental presence, without their protection and without their provision. They truly are the least of these, the yatom. And so God deeply cares to be the father who is present, to be the one who protects, to be the one who provides. And so when God sees that they don't have that in their lives, to God, that is not okay. So if you don't have that parental presence, what does God say? I am. If you don't have protection, I will. The I am says, I will be a father to the fatherless. This is the heart of our father. And if you look intently, you'll see and you'll find that this is actually the heart of his gospel. So number two, if you're taking notes, why does God see caring for the orphans as so pure and faultless? It it reflects the heart of the father, but number two, it displays the heart of the gospel. Displays the heart of his gospel. I want to introduce you to little Caleb. This is Caleb when he was a baby, and Caleb was born in Japan. And weeks into coming into this world, little did Caleb know that he was facing fatherlessness. Yet little did he know that as he was facing fatherlessness, he was also being pursued. See, Caleb's adoption began with someone else's initiative. Way before Caleb was born. Way years before he was born. See, his adoption was not Caleb's idea. It was not his effort. It was not his own doing. It was the love and initiative of a couple named Brian and Anna. It was Brian and Anna who wanted to cross over the ocean and adopt him and love him so that they can bring him into their home to be their son. And so when they crossed the ocean... On March 8th of 2013, when Caleb was placed in the arms of Brian and Anna, he became their forever son, and they became his forever family. And yet, as he was in their arms, little did Caleb know all that went into adopting him. He had no idea the energy that was expended, the effort that was poured out, the price that was paid, the home inspections, the background checks, All that had been done, the waiting in order to adopt this precious baby is totally, completely beyond him. As an infant, weeks into the world, he had no ability or capacity to make any of of this happen. He didn't have the money to pay for them to come over or to buy his way into their home. None of it was on him. All of it was outside of him. And I love this picture of grace, for he did not pursue them. They pursued him. They pursued him to give him a life, to give him a home, to give him a forever family, to be daily present, to offer protection, and to give him provision. That is grace. That is the heart of the gospel. Church, can I I remind you what Christ has done for us? Look what Ephesians 1 says. Do not take this lightly. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. He has adopted you before you were born, before the creation of the world. He pursued you. He pursued me. Sinful man. And when think about this, what, what is the greatest thing that can possibly happen to sinful man and sinful woman? What's the greatest thing that could possibly happen? Think about that. What is that thing? And you're probably thinking salvation, to be saved from our sin. I want to say to you, wrong. There is something even greater than salvation. Adoption. 
Adoption is even greater. Don't get me wrong. Salvation is great. We need it. It means that Jesus saves us from sin and he saves us from death and he saves us from hell. We praise God for that. What can possibly be greater than that? I'll tell you what. Adoption. Why? Because salvation in itself, by itself, does not necessarily imply intimate relationship. It doesn't. But adoption is all about the relationship. Last week, my wife Monica and I, we got to take some time away and travel out of the country. We left the kids at home with grandma and and we, we got to just spend a week together. And I remember us just kind of touring through the city streets. There were a lot of people, and we're walking through the streets, and we see in the alley this little kid, dirty, raggedy clothes, and he's playing an accordion, begging for money. Now, I've seen a lot of beggars in my life. I have, but something hits differently when you see this little kid trying to make some change just to survive. Now, I don't know his story. Maybe some adult put him up to this. Maybe there's an adult hiding behind the wall somewhere. I don't know. Or maybe he's an orphan. I don't know his story. But imagine Monica and I, we're we're just caught by this moment, and we decide, hey, let's do something about this. And we say, hey, kid, come here. And we we pick him up, and we look for the local orphanage in town. We bring him to the orphanage. We, We shell out some money and say, hey, would you clean him up? Would you give him some clothes? Would you give him warm food, and would you keep him here? Right? What, what did we just do if we did that? What if we brought him to the orphanage and got him off the dangerous streets? We just saved the kid. That's salvation. To, to, to rescue someone from a terrible situation, that's the definition of salvation. We just saved the kid. And so Monica and I could actually feel good about ourselves and that we could continue on and tour the city streets. That's not bad at all. But what if Monica and I decided, you know what, let's not bring him to an orphanage. Let's bring him to our home. And we talk about it, we realize this is gonna be very costly, this is gonna require great sacrifice. But we bring him into our home and we say, listen, look, in this house, I'm not gonna treat you like a son. You're my son. And Monica, she's your mom. And Evan is gonna be your big bro. And Karis and Erin, they're going to be your big sisters. And this warm food is not my food. It's your food. Mi casa es su casa. We're going to take care of you from this day forward. You are in this family. And when you get into second grade and some kid puts his arm on you, I will get in his face and I will say, don't you ever put your hands on my son because you are my son. That's adoption. Understand That God did not just save you from hell, but he also adopted you into his forever home. He did not just save you and rescue you so that one future day you will get heaven and put you away until that day. No, he gives you today his presence, his protection, and his provision. Today. The gospel is not simply that he saved you from hell and saved you from your sin, but as John says in John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, to be called sons and daughters of the Most High Heavenly Father. Adoption is at the heart of the gospel. When you were totally incapable totally unable in yourself the father was pursuing you before you were born he was pursuing not just to save you that but also to adopt you to bring you into intimate relationship it's been said that that a person is never more like god that you are never more like your heavenly father than when you care for the orphan and the widow Why? Because that is the heart of our Father. And it is at the very heart of his gospel. We may never be more like him than we care, than when we care for the atonement. And so religion that is pure and faultless to God is religion that pursues relationship with him and with his people. So why is 
caring for the orphan so pure and faultless because it reflects the Father's heart. It displays the heart of the gospel. And number three, this is where we get practical. Write this down. It practices what we preach. It practices what we preach. Now, I, I got to take a moment to address something very important. Coming up this week, on Tuesday, November 8th, this week in the state of California is a big day. It's election day. And I need to bring to your attention, I need to address one proposition in particular because it, is, it has biblical implications. And that's Proposition 1. And some of you guys are familiar with Proposition 1, and if you're not, let me just tell you, a yes on Proposition 1 will enshrine abortion as a fundamental right for every Californian. It will further solidify the, the right and the ability to have an abortion. To say no will delay that, that process. A few months ago, I gave a message about the church and abortion. And in that message, I made it very clear, very clear that your pastors and this church made it very clear that we believe God's heart is for every life that is conceived, unborn and born. That every life created by God, ordained by God, matters to God. And so it has to matter to the people of God. That is not a political idea. That is a biblical idea. And so it has to matter to us. And I also share that the church, we're called to be the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It preserves. It delays decay. And one way we delay decay in this land is to vote and to voice what we, what we care about and uphold the righteousness of God. And so as your pastor, I want to urge you, if you agree with the heart of God, that he cares for every life conceived, born or unborn, then to go vote and voice that life matters, that life matters. And with that being said, in that message, if you recall, I gave this illustration. I gave this example of how I was with a bunch of my college friends, and we were trying to decide where to go for dinner that night, where we were going to eat. And everybody had their opinions, and, and I wanted something healthy. And this one guy, fairly new to the group, says, we got to eat Mongolian barbecue. You guys remember that? He's like, Mongolian barbecue, and nobody wanted it. But he kept saying, no, it's so good. You get this noodle and beef and chicken and oil, and they fry it. And he's like, Mongolian, and he's making so much noise. And I'm thinking, why is this such a big deal to him? And finally, because he was making such a big deal out of it, everybody conceded, all right, we'll go to Mongolian barbecue. We all get in our cars and we go meet at the restaurant. I'm there. I'm like, where's Andy, the guy who wanted Mongolian barbecue? And they say, oh, he said he had to go home and eat with his family. I was like, why are, they, why are you making such a big deal if you're not going to even show up? Why make so much noise if you're not even going to be there? And I'll admit, that left a bad taste in my mouth. And I share that with you because one of the worst things we could do as a church is make so much noise about how much life matters to us. Abortion is wrong. We are pro-life. The life of the unborn matters. And we can say so much, but then do nothing to show up. It's the worst thing we could do. Do nothing to be there to care for the children who actually make it into this world and to the families who end up not aborting. One pastor put it this way. I love what he says. He says, we kid ourselves. We fool ourselves. If we claim that life matters and we are pro-life just because we walk into a, a voting booth and we check off a box every time that election comes around again. That's a joke. I want to say, when has Christianity ever been about checking off boxes? Is it not when our faith is put into action? Is not true faith when we live out faithful action? That's true Christianity, a religion that is acceptable, pure and faultless to God. One major reason, you could read all the stats and all the studies, one major reason a mom chooses to abort a child is because she sees the challenges in raising that child and she concludes, I can't do it. I don't have the resources. I don't have enough money. I have no support. There's no father for this child. I can't do it. And one of the worst things we can do 
as Christians is to tell her you have to have the baby, you have to have the baby, but then do nothing to help once she does. That's a dead faith. James, after he talks about that in James 1.27, says this is pure and faultless before God. He goes on in a few verses. Chapter 2 talks about faith and action. And then he says this in verse 15. James 2.15 says this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. And so listen, family, if any of us claim to be pro-life, this is where we prove it. This is where, be pro-love, be proactive, be active in your faith. We're going to fight for lives inside of the womb to make it outside of the womb. We pray that they make it outside of the womb. Then the church ought to show up and help care for every child who made it outside. So church, here's where we get practical. And I want to start sharing about foster and adoption ministry as a way, just a way that we can put our faith into action. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to bring up um, a couple guests to the stage uh, would you help me welcome out Bethany Chang and Brian Booth as they come out and join us? As they come out and, and we'll get them set up. I, I just want to say this. Like I started off beginning of this message, I said foster care and adoption is not for everyone. It's not for everyone. And I would say there's most of us in this room who will not be a foster family or an adopt adoption family. Most of us will not be. In fact, I would say there are some of us who you should not be a foster family or an <laughs> please do not be, right? Because you're not set up to, you're not equipped to, you don't have the resources. There's like a 24-year-old in here looking for a job. Please do not be bringing orphans into your home, okay? <laughs> just, just pray, <laughs> all right? So there's a way that we can all be involved in foster ministry. Thanks, Jonah. And so I want to share uh, with you a little bit about today. Um, this is Brian Booth. So Brian Booth and Rosa Tang, who can't be with us today, they lead the Chosen Fam ministry in this church. It used to be called Chosen. We officially changed it to Chosen, the Chosen Fam because it's about the family. And Fam stands for Foster and Adoption Ministries, to make it very clear to you what it's about. And so Brian helps lead that. And this is Bethany Chang, and she is part of a ministry outside of uh, the church called Foster the City. Um, and Bethany has been partnering with Brian and Rosa, uh, training, training us up, getting us ready so that we can, as a church family, grow in foster care ministry. All right. So what I want to do is, if you guys would share with the church family, I know some people are thinking, well, what is the difference between foster care and adoption? They, they sound alike, they seem to have the same heart, but what's the difference? So Bethany, would you share with uh, the church family, what, what is foster, foster care ministry? I think people ha often have a misinformed mindset when they think about foster care and they assume that adoption is the goal when in fact that is not the goal of foster care. The goal of foster care is reunification. I like how one pastor and foster parent he put it this way, foster care is less about getting a child for your family and more about giving your family for a child. We temporarily open our homes and work towards um, seeing these kiddos reunified with their parents. And um, we acknowledge though that reunification is not always possible. But we do really encourage these parents to work toward and we support them in being able to welcome their kids back. But when that isn't able to happen, then cases do lead to adoption. And my family has experienced both of these outcomes, reunification and adoption. And you know, foster care in a lot of ways is an invitation into trusting the sovereign hand of God and really trusting him and following him into all of the unknowns that are associated with it. Awesome, thank you, yeah. That was actually very new to me as I was just learning about this in the prep of this message. So that's very insightful. And so Brian, would you help kind of share adoption ministry? How's that different from foster care? Well, um, first of all, we're not um, with adoption uh, folks that are 
led by God to do this, aren't looking to reunify um, the child with the biological family. With um, we got to remember that there's also children out there that have no ties back to their biological um, parents or family. Um, there's women out there who are choosing to give life to children, but for one reason or another are unable to care for them. And so God has um, called these families to reach out and open up their homes. And they're looking for children to graft into their families um, and into their family trees, just like God do it, did with us when we were saved. So. Yeah. So I don't know if you recognize, but Brian and Anna that I just shared with you earlier, this is the Brian. And so he, he's a living testimony. Uh, but yeah, so the goal of foster care is to eventually see the child back with their biological parents. Because in every case, that's going to be the best case scenario. That's God's intention. But like Brian said, um, sometimes that's just not possible. And so adoption is where we can provide a family for that um, child who is alone, all right? So, um, Bethany, going back to you, share with us the crisis we're facing. Why is foster care so important right now? And then what is Foster the City, your organization, doing to help the church grow in that way? Well, if no one intervenes in these kids' lives and no one believes that God can actually restore families, um, there's... There's a lot of things stacked against these kids, and Pastor Greg was talking about how these yatom, they pay a high price, right? There's a high, high price paid by them. On the screen, you'll see some statistics. A third of the kids who age out of the foster care system are going to end up homeless, and about half will struggle with some sort of substance abuse and unemployment. Very few go to college. 71% of girls, by the time they're age 21, are going to be pregnant. And that child is often going to be entering into the foster care system as well. These kids are at a higher risk for being trafficked because pimps prey upon these vulnerable kids. And these things are saddening, they're maddening, um, but this is a reality. But providing a loving home for these kids, these amazing kids, is an upstream approach to preventing these problems. Um, and these statistics up here that you see, they're more than just numbers, okay? Every number has a name, and every name has a story, and every story matters to God. We're facing a crisis. More kids are entering the foster care system than there are families ready to welcome them. In LA County alone, there are over 28,000 kids in foster care. Unfortunately, we are the biggest county in the entire United States, 28,000 kids. We at Foster the City, we're a coalition of 218 churches in California and Northern Nevada who are working toward the day um, when there will be more than enough families to meet the need. We are working to provide loving homes, and we do this by raising up foster families and because we want there to be um, a wait list of families rather than a wait list of kids. And so when God's church says yes, to providing a safe and loving home, we're saying we're, we get to partner with God in changing the narrative and changing the story for these kids. Our vision is a church for every child. So our strategy is to have every church in our coalition raise up at least one foster family, and we're hoping for and praying for a lot here at South Bay Community Church. And we, and we wrap them and surround them with a support friend team. So we build intentional community around these people because fostering is hard. 60% of all foster families will quit after their first placement or within their first year. All right, these are people who like love kids, love Jesus. Some of them, you know, like, okay, maybe not every single person loves Jesus, but, um, but they have a heart for this, and then they realize it's hard. It's hard. So what happened to those 40% who continue? Barna, got to love them. They did research, support, and community around these foster families is what made the difference. And so that's why we have this model. Um, we... We surround, we have the foster family in the center there. We surround them with a support from team. And there's a lot of really practical ways that people can help. You can see it on the screen. There's babysitting, tutoring, transportation, meals, and also emotional and spiritual ways of supporting the family. And so we provide structure to the good intentions that people have. Right? We want to be able to help and support, um, support these foster families. And so we're providing a structure for that. And so there's a great need for foster families yeah. and a great need for support friends to come around them. 
Yeah, so let's put that slide back up one more time. And I, I said fostering and adopting is not for everybody, but uh, we're praying that out of this church, there will be people who say I, we can open up our home and be a foster family. Uh, but I assume that more of us, and this is where this message applies to everyone, uh, we, we, we become support friends, right? Um, we, we could come around them so that their incredibly difficult task um, can be actually done together with the help of the community, okay? So, uh, Bethany, tell us, if anybody's thinking, like, I want to get involved somehow. I don't know if I'm going to be a foster fam- a family myself uh, or my family, but how can we get involved? What can we do? What's the next step? We love next steps at Foster the City. Um, it's a series of small yeses, I think, when we, we enter God, um, we enter with God into this ministry. So we have an interest meeting next Sunday on November 13th, and it'll be at 1 p.m. at Lighthouse Community Church. Lighthouse is not very far from here, so it's like a two-minute drive down Van Ness. And, um, and you will have plenty of time to get there. It starts at 1 o'clock. You don't even have to stop to pick up food on the way because we are going to provide lunch. Foster the City is going to provide hey, lunch. Amen. We're going to have childcare there as well. Okay. So, you know, free food, childcare, sounds like, you know, maybe a date afternoon for some of y'all. But um, <laughs> we do ask that you RSVP. And so we have a QR code where you can do that. You can also come to our table um, to RSVP and find out more information. I also want to invite you to come to our table. So you might be thinking, oh, next Sunday I already have plans or I can't make it. Come by our table and fill out a next steps card so that we can follow up with you and continue to tell you how you can be engaged in foster care ministry here at South Bay Community Church. Yeah, so again, that's next Sunday at 1 o'clock um, at Lighthouse Church down the road. Um, here's what I want everyone to do. Would everybody take out your phone right now? Well, if you have a phone, if you're at home, take out your phone right now. And I want to ask everybody, would you just open up your camera and just scan this? There's no commitment right now. You're not committing to anything at all, not even committing to going to this meeting. But just I want you to get this on your phone um, and pull up that submission form. And I just want you to leave it there. Maybe you already know. I want to go. Fill it out. But let the Lord just speak to you and move throughout the service. And if he so moves you, just go ahead and say, I'm interested. I'll show up. I'll, I'll take a baby step. So, so if this is foster ministry and care, caring for the orphan, and right now you're right here, just, it takes a baby step. A baby step. I'm asking you to move in this direction and not away from it. This past week, I, I was studying this, and I, I asked my wife, I said, hey, let's sit down, let's talk. Do you think we could possibly foster a child? We both talked about, we concluded, no way. Like, we, we just can't. Like, we, we have so much going on. We got three kids. We could barely stay afloat. We got responsibilities. We said, we don't think we can do it. But we said, but we could go to this meeting. Because we know we could pray as a family. We could help bring food. That's something we can do. So let's go and see how can the Lord use us, okay? So I, I just pray that every one of you, though you may not be a foster family or an adoption, adoption family, just to say, God, how will you use me to care for the yatom, for the fatherless, okay? So would you please consider, I'm praying for a hundred of us, a hundred from South Bay Community Church to show up at this interest meeting. Bethany told me that's unheard of. No church has ever provided that. You guys can do it. You are the most loving church. I know we could get at least 100 people there, okay? And see what the Lord does. Um, Brian, I I know that there are some people here who have already been thinking about adoption, maybe praying about it, maybe talking as a couple, or there's some spouses here who have been thinking about it and haven't even talked to their spouse yet. What, What can we say to those thinking about adoption or just getting involved somehow well one of, one of the things that we really love about the foster the city partnership that we're going to be doing with chosen is that they're already doing the the model well they're doing the model that we have already been doing and some of you have been on our care communities and cared for these families and it's worked great and we want to do the same thing for our adoptive families we want to wrap um, support friends around them Sorry, it was always care communities, now it's support friends. I gotta get used to that. Um, We wanna wrap that around um, adoptive families as well. Um, Back when we were going through the process, I I can't imagine doing this without the support of our church and our life group that we had before. Um, Ernie and Donna, (laughs) thank you. Um, (laughs) I'm gonna lose it now. Um, So, um, they were the ones that picked us up at the airport and they saw us through all the, the hard times leading up to that, our fundraisers and everything, and um, their family. They're 
you know, them and the others, um, you know, Caleb calls them uncle and aunties, and they're our family now. And that's what we want to do for you. Uh, we want to wrap a family around you, or, or uh, support around your family that will do this. So, you know, come and talk to us at the table, and, you know, we'll point you in the different directions. Everybody's story is different, you know, and it's got a different way of going about it, but um, we'll, we'll start working with you and get you plugged in. So Brian and Bethany will be at a table in the lobby in the center. Um, if you're interested, fill out that QR uh, form. If you weren't able to do it for whatever reason, stop by the table. She has cards you can fill out. Uh, she could also give you all the different options available to you, okay? Um, but thank you so much, Brian and Bethany. We'll see you guys out in the lobby, okay? Would you guys help me thank them for, for what you do to help the church grow in this way? Amen. I opened up by showing you a video, a story of a mom and her child, and uh, I don't know if you made the connection, but Bethany was the one in that, that video. She's the foster parent along with her family, um, caring for Lauren and Madison, and um, Bethany is also Pastor Corey's daughter, Pastor Corey and Rain. Uh, you've seen Pastor Corey up here many times, and I've, I've seen that video a long time ago because I know Bethany and her family, and I knew that one day I wanted to show that video to you, to you church family. And today was the day. What I didn't know was that Foster the City, as they were going to come and partner with us, they're going to send a representative to speak to you. I didn't know that it was going to be Bethany. So that's a, that's a God thing right there, connecting the stories together. But what I want to do, I want to show you the rest of that story. And I want to show you what God was doing through that relationship. So check this out. So I met them at uh, Trader Joe's parking lot. And uh, we're, we're in the parking lot. And I'm just crying and holding Madison. And... And Brian puts his hands over me while I'm crying, and he just prays. He prayed for me, and I don't know what he said, but when he was done, all the guilt was taken away. All the guilt was taken away, because when she was crying, it wasn't just a kid crying. All I heard was everything I did while I was pregnant. Everything I did, I, everything I did to put her in a position to be crying. Well, when we first got into foster care, we thought we were going to start doing it. Um, it was just the focus was just all about the children and about you know saving children. We didn't we didn't have any other really focus until we went to the, our agency's training, which was really good. Um, and they they kind of like enfolded us into the whole process of of dealing with you know, the, there's a family that's broken and you're there not just for the children, but you know, there's an entire family that's out there that's gonna be hurting. Out of the blue, I got a text message from her, which, which made me cry. Um, she had just texted me, you know, Bethany, I need God and I want Madison to know Jesus. And I'm like, I called her right away. Um, I, I was like, we gotta, we gotta talk. I'm like, you're making me cry. She's like, why? And I'm like, because this is like, this is absolutely amazing. And then to hear how God has just been working on her heart, um, it, was, it was exciting. And she wanted to learn more. She's hungry and thirsty. And so we've been doing Bible study together. She started going to church. She found one, they, they got connected in there. And so it's been amazing to see God at work. They were my support. They, Bethany and Brian were my main support throughout this whole case after they got Madison. They carried me. They carried me. They believed in me. My relationship with them is still growing, and I love them so much. I consider them to be my family. I get my advice from Bethany. I watch her family because I want what she has, and I want what her family has, and I want what how her family is. I want that for my family. Praise God. Would you help me praise the Lord for the story that he's writing in their lives. And there's so much more to that video that I want you to see, but I want to capture what she said right there. Lauren said, I want what Bethany has. I want what her family has. My, my question is, what does Bethany have? What did she see in Bethany's family? I'll tell you what she has. Jesus. They have Jesus. I know the Ching family personally, and I can tell you that they have a heavenly father who has adopted each one of them into his forever home because of what Christ has done. 
And that's what this family has been able to do. They've been able to be expressions of the gospel, expressions of Jesus to a mom and her child. That's what we get to do when we care for the orphans and we care for the fatherless. We get to show them the father's love for each one of them. We get to show them the gospel. Brian Booth and his wife Anna, when they crossed over the Pacific Ocean on that day to to capture Caleb with their love, to embrace him and invite him into their forever family. They got to be an expression of Jesus and show Caleb his love. There are those who say, I will cross the ocean for the one that I love. There are those who say, I will climb the highest mountain for the one that I love. There's those who will say, I will go to the moon and back for the one that I love. I don't know if anyone has ever climbed a mountain for you. I'll tell you this, there's one who has climbed a hill for you. A hill called Calvary. And he didn't stop there. He kept on climbing up to that cross to adopt you. I don't know if anyone's gone to the moon and back for you. I'll tell you this. There's one who has left heaven for you. To come to earth and back to adopt you into his forever family. As Galatians 4 says this. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Not everyone is called to foster or adopt, but every Christ follower is called to be an expression of the gospel. Will you ask the Lord God, how will you use me to reflect the Father's heart and to display the heart of the gospel. Would you guys bow your heads with me? And as we respond, I want to invite you just to pray and talk to God and continue to worship in your heart. And simply say, God, here I am. Here's my life. Use me in some way. And so, Father God, we come to the altar. We recognize our Heavenly Father. In all our brokenness, in all our messed upness, God, you restore us and redeem us. And God, now, Lord, we know that you want us to go and do likewise, that we would bring restoration, redemption to people because of the gospel that we're able to give them, because of the Jesus we're able to share with them. So God, whatever that looks like, whether it's in foster and adoption ministry or beyond that, whatever it is, God, speak to us. How do you want to use us to be expressions of your love, of your heart, and of your gospel? God, we come to your altar, thankful that we can approach the throne of grace with great confidence because of what Christ has done for us. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name.